ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terra Master, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Hey everybody, today we have a very special show for you. We have the seven-time champion in Barry Hawk, and he also won a motorcycle title. And we have our seven-time champion in Walker Fowler. And you two gentlemen have history. And thank you so much for coming on ATV Talk. Yeah, glad to be here. Yep, thanks for having me on a second time and definitely pumped to, to be on here with Barry. It's uh, definitely a cool year and a cool uh, a cool guy to, to, to get to do a show with. And, and like you said, we have uh, the same championships and actually the same amount of wins, I believe. Wow, I didn't know that either. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that. That's interesting. I yep. don't want to take anything. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Was, this, was it 68, Barry, or 69? Something like that. 68 or 69. I, I'm not yep. 100% sure. Because <laughs> I know there was a race lost in history somewhere, so I don't remember what yeah. number that one was. Yeah, I think it's actually 68. If I, Yeah, I think it's 68. I was at... 67 and then the race that suddenly appeared and i got credit for which yeah. turns out to be true i uh yeah i think that took me to 68 very cool that's where i ended up this year so that's pretty ironic actually <laughs> yeah yeah that it is. is wow that is so cool i don't want to take anything away from bill balance but i'm talking to two incredible champions and you guys both have motorcycle and ATV experience. Walker, it sounds to me like you rode motorcycles before you really got deep into ATVs. Uh, mostly because there wasn't an opportunity to race um, ATVs until you were 16. So, or, you know, you had to lie about your age, but I was well enough known that I couldn't really lie. So um, <clears throat> pretty much just had to, to make a GNCC career out of motorcycles for the longest time. Really? Uh, what was the reason you changed over? Uh, I had a lot more fun on the ATV. Uh, I just felt like naturally uh, t more talented on that. I had to really work at the motorcycle and it just got to a point on the motorcycle. Um, I have two 19th overalls in the afternoon. So I scored uh, two overall points or four overall points. Other than that, that's four. the best I could ever do. And, uh, just got, I got scared of the bike. I had some of the biggest crashes in my, well, until, you know, later on in the ATV career, but some of my really big crashes that just were like, ah, I don't know if this is worth it. And just, it just didn't feel right. So I had an opportunity to, um, to, to try to make a career out of the ATV. And I just decided I might as well give it one shot and see what happens. And, you know, obviously the rest is kind of history, a uh, lot of, a lot of work and sacrifice, but there was one, one job opening when Bill Balance retired and uh, Taylor Kaiser tried to fill it. Uh, he wasn't able to, and, and uh, I got the job. That's pretty awesome. Barry, let me ask you, as you got to ride uh, motorcycles for a brief short time, 
with Walker. Um, did and you guys have a relationship? I'm assuming. Did he come to you for advice on the uh, ride in the ATV? Um, I really don't recall him coming to me. No, I mean he he knew what he was doing at that point. Um, I do remember his dad coming to me and asking me for some advice that he could he could give Walker or I could give Walker on, uh, you know, maybe getting some wins and, you know, what, what he had to do. And I told him, I said, there's no secret formula. I wish I could say, this is what you need to do, or this is how you do it. Um, but it's not that easy. But, uh, as for Walker coming to me, no, um, he probably asked me for more knowledge on the bike side because I was already a bike guy at that point. Um, and I probably helped him out some, but I'm probably thinking, wow, this guy's, you know, he's already got the quad thing figured out and he's figuring out on the bike. I don't want to give him too many pointers. Let me take him my job here on the bike side. So luckily he went over to the ATVs. That's pretty awesome. So um, I want to ask you this, Barry, because you're still involved. What do you see some of the biggest differences in the ATV world from when you got to race to what you see now? Um, probably some of the differences, or the biggest differences to me is, um, the guys, if I compare myself to Walker, now I don't know exactly what Walker does day in and day out. Um, of course you hear stories, but I think he probably is a lot more dedicated on the ATV than I was solely on the ATV because I kind of cross-trained a lot on the bike. Um, especially my last probably three, four, five years on the ATV. I primarily rode the bike the entire time. Um, I didn't hardly ride the bike or the ATV at all. I, as a matter of fact, my last year racing the ATV, the last year I won the championship in 99, there was 13 GNCCs. I rode it, I think, of 15 times I rode my ATV that year. Um, and there was the, the other two times were probably 10 minutes leading up to the season. Um, just ride it across the field, say, yeah, suspension's good. I'm ready to go race. Um, Walker could probably be in good shape today if you rode a dirt bike. If if you put him in my shoes, he probably would be in pretty good shape, but I don't see him going out and winning uh, the amount of races and championships today doing what I did back in 1999. Was I in shape? Yes, but it was just, it's a different world. The sport has evolved and changed and just like everything to the point where, you know, Walker's got to put a lot of time and effort like a lot of those guys do um, to get where he's at and, you know, it's paid off for him. But, you know, that's the biggest thing. I mean, besides the actual, the four stroke versus I was racing the two stroke Honda 250R, you know, Walker's on the, the Yamaha 450 and I haven't ridden a 250R. Oh man, it's been, 20 years since I've ridden one, but I actually just got rid of my Yamaha ATV early this year, the end of last year, I got, got rid of it. But, um, you know, I wish, I wish I could take that Yamaha ATV and race what I was doing back in the day. Cause then it would have been that much easier. And I probably could have won by bigger margins than I already did. So, but you know, that, that's obvious the four strokes and how the, the, um, you know, the machines have advanced over the years compared to what I was on, but, you know, the training part of it and what Walker does day in and day out, you know, but that's no different than the guys on the dirt bike side. You know, it's everything constantly changes, evolves. And if you don't stay on top of it, you're going to get your butt kicked. So Walker's been doing a good job staying on top of it. Well, that brings me to a question to you, Walker. Have you done any, have you ridden a 250R? Have you done anything to do a comparison test? from the old to the new? Uh, I have never ridden a 250R, and I feel like I'm going to get, like, smited for that. But uh, I do own uh, a Banshee, the the 350 Yamaha Banshee. Mine's a 2001, so it's not the J-Arm. I've never ridden one of the original Banshees, but obviously then from 90, what was that, 92 to 2006, they were all the same. Um, I love it. It is really cool. And uh, I rode it in completely stock trim, and I hated it. <laughs> it was quiet. And I was like, this isn't what I remember. I remember the two into one kits and they sounded like Indy cars. And that's what my dad had. Uh, Kim Coonley raced one like that. Curtis Crump raced one like that. Um, it, it just, unfortunately sponsors and, and, and what have you, I have to, it has FMF pipes on it. So it's, it's still a, 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 a dual pipe, which I, 
I don't love, but I don't have a choice. And, um, it has, uh, it actually has uh, a set of 450, uh, I believe they were carb model shocks that we shortened up because the, the suspension is super short on the Banshee, but I have a long travel front end on it. Um, it does have a little stick steering stabilizer. It really needs a precision that would make that that much better. But the biggest thing that, uh, I think would have really been a huge game changer, uh, the invention of tire balls or tire, you know, a tire flat run proof system, it actually gets traction. Like I know that was everyone's complaint was that the two strokes, you just spun the tires like crazy. Well, with the, you know, a run flat system, uh, I, I prefer the tire balls. You can run really low air pressure. Don't have to worry about a flat and it'll actually hook up and it's awesome. And I think that would have been a huge game changer, you know, back in the nineties or, you know, late eighties. And, uh, it's, they're not as powerful and I have to be really easy on the clutch on the two stroke. Uh, that's my biggest, my biggest thing is like, I'm really good at it, kind of riding flowy and keeping momentum up and trying to not use the clutch, but you know, inevitably you have to, and the two, three times you got to, to, to do that, you build so much clutch heat and then it starts overheating. So I'm going to rig up a way, uh, to put like a radiator fan, um, kind of like the, the KTM dirt bikes have little baby three inch radiator fans. I'm going to try to put like one or two of those on there and see if I can't get it to run a little cooler, but I love it. It is very cool. The sound is so unique. Um, eventually before I'm done, I would like to race the GNCC on it. I was just going to ask that. Hey, yep. You, I've worked on a couple banshees in my day. So if you ever want some pointers on that, give me a call because if built right, they generally don't have overheating issues. And okay. there's some clutch things that we could talk about. You know, I don't want to get into too much over it because that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. About. But uh, it's a, it's a really cool platform. And I would love to see you race that. Yep. So that's the goal. Um, it'll be towards, you know, the end of my career, or maybe even when I like formally retire from competitive racing, I might come back and, and do some, some one-off races on it or something, but I, I, I would love to see if you could get a top 20 on it, you know, score overall points on the two stroke at uh, today's tracks. The tracks are so much faster. There's 16 times the amount of riders, maybe not in the pro class, you know, they used to have 30 to 40 riders. Um, and that was even with pro production and, and, uh, Barry, what was the actual, was it just pro like unlimited or something? Um, few hundred years ago, it was just two fifty a open a four stroke a. Then it it switched to, I don't think it was called XC one pro. I think it was just pro class. Yeah, okay. it was just pro, pro and pro production. Yeah, yeah, I think that was it. Yep. Okay, so yeah, I mean, so you used to get sixty pros, you know, between the two lines, 50, 60 pros. And that, I remember those days, that was crazy. Like having, having a number 45 on your quad wasn't really that bad. It wasn't a bad thing. Like <laughs> you were, you were a pro rider now, you know, the, the B class guys are earning number 45. So that's, what's pretty crazy too. You think it has something to do with the overall cost or are, are less people in, interested in riding ATVs? Uh, I think it's it definitely is cost. I mean, it's you're you're never gonna get rich, and basically, you better had started with some money because you probably spent it all when you started racing ATVs. Uh, they're just inherently uh, everything is anymore. Everything is just expensive. But I think it is hard to travel, um, and to be in the top ten, you pretty much like Barry was saying, you have to be like fully dedicated. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of the guys, um, that, that have full-time jobs, you know, sort of the, maybe some of the guys in, in the back of the class, the only one, um, that I really know of that's a, a front runner is Jared McClure has a full-time job and he's uh, you know, number three, I believe this year he finished. And, uh, beyond that, everyone somehow makes a living racing or scraps by doing odds and ends. And, you know, I think back in the day, everybody had a job, you know, so it kind of could help there wasn't anyone getting ahead and maybe Barry, you know, riding a little bit more than somebody else or showing up a little less hungover. You know, those were really big steps <laughs> to, to being better back in the day. You know, now you gotta, you gotta basically be an Olympian to, to be competitive. It is, that is a huge transition. Did, 
Barry, did you see the transition like that in the bikes where the training came in uh, to where everybody had to train uh, to, to get better? Yeah, I saw it. Uh, it was there before it was on the ATVs. Uh, the bike guys were doing it. And um, I think one reason probably the bike side was doing it sooner was because, one, you have more bike guys than you do ATV guys. And there's more positions. There's more factory rides on the bike side. So guys are just naturally going to be more competitive and fight, you know, try tooth and nail to get those those spots. So, yeah, the training side of it comes in, came in before it did on ATVs. As for what year, uh, I can't say exactly what year it came in on the ATVs. I know if I speak for myself, 99 my last year, I actually – um, going back to what Walker said, I actually, I raced ATV pro, I raced bike pro, and I actually had a job, a full-time job working for the state at that time. Now I do get beat up people saying it's a job for the state. You're not working that hard. I said, that's true, but I was still there putting in 40 hours a week. So that was, you know, it wasn't like I could actually go do something kind of be at my real job at this state and do something with the racing side that wasn't happening. So, um, you know, and that was my, I, I won a championship on a bike doing that, but Walker, would you want to go work 40 hours a week for the state now and then do what you're doing now? I mean, no, you don't want to do it. I don't want to, if you had to, sure, but I don't want to. Right. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and I had to, at that point, you know, I yeah. had to do that. But, um, for me on the bike side, um, I think it was 2001 it was 2000 or 2001 is when I quit my job for the state and just dedicated myself to racing, you know, full-time on the bikes. So as for when the guys done it on the ATVs, I'm not sure. Um, I think I would go, that would probably have to be a bill balance or a Chris Borich question to see, you know, if they, how much they work. I know bill, I think always worked on the farm, but Walker, you may have more input on that, but, I can only speak, you know, for sure what I did. I worked my last year on ATV 99. I worked a full-time job, raced ATV pro, raced a bike pro and still made it happen. So, but here I am today, you know, a lot of hard work and dedication to get where I'm at. That's incredible. I, I got another question for you guys. Beings that the courses back then when you were riding uh, Walker, you made a, statement about them being so much different what is the biggest transition differences from then to now i would say that um gncc using the little uh swaco or sutter bulldozers they're uh 48 inches and going to the same properties over and over again um a lot of the properties that that barry was racing at we we wouldn't be able to have our youth race at anymore it'd be too you know too small um, probably one of the biggest ones is like Boyers or Brownsville. Some of the tracks that I've actually been to after the fact for local races and you're, and you pull into these places, uh, there's one in Lisbon, Ohio called uh, tea garden. And, um, you, you pull into some of these places and you're just like, how, like, how did they ever have a national race at this place? <laughs> but it was just, you know, it was different. Everyone was showing up in pickup trucks. You know, there weren't these show hauler semis that some, you know, for, for youth riders. I mean, some of these, some of these parents are really dedicated and they, you know, they're 80 foot long coaches and, and it's awesome. I'm glad people uh, love it enough and they camp for five, four or five days. But uh, yeah, back in the day, you just showed up, you know, pictures of, you know, pro riders dumping their, their machine out of an El Camino or, you know, whatever they could get to the races <laughs> vans, you know, were pretty popular. Um, and if you had the, like a high point trailer, you were big living back then, you know, <laughs> Uh, the, the tracks, like I said, there's little bulldozers and we go to the same property now for 15, 20 years that they just, they, there's less, less trees. It just gets wide, you know, the track gets wider and wider and, and, um, you know, the, the utility machines can run over four inch big trees. So now the tracks, you know, you don't, you don't make an S bend. You just go straight through it because the race before you has these thousand pound, 200 horsepower machines that can run stuff over. So the tracks, like I said, they just get faster and faster and, um, lappers are 
starting to be a little bit of an issue, um, which I think that's, that's always been a problem, but you know, everyone's out there racing and our closing speed, you know, if we're doing 30 or 40 miles an hour in the woods and some of the amateurs or, um, older racers are, are doing 15 or 20 miles an hour, the, when you're doubling their speed, it, things get a little hairy. Sometimes you come around some blind corners and you really got to be uh, paying attention as best as you can. <laughs> Do you think that you'll be able to transition to wider machines at some point? There's certain tracks. I think you really could. Uh, there's, there's other ones at least right now. No, uh, camp coker would be too tight. Um, one that we had stopped going to in the late, um, you know, about 2010, 11, uh, Yadkinville, which actually is, uh, Caleb Russell's wife's family farm. No, you needed a 44 inch machine for that place. It was so <laughs> tight, <laughs> but, uh, I'll be curious to see as, as this evolves, if it'll turn into more of maybe like the work style where there's like a, a motocross track or like a short course type thing that's easier for the fans. And maybe they wouldn't be 30 minute laps. Maybe they would be 10 or 15 minute laps, um, you know, to, to, and maybe not do 500 racers on one track. Maybe it would, they would only do the top A's or, you know, pro and pro am on the track at the same time. Uh, I was watching that live, uh, live race this weekend to see how the GNCC boys were going to do. And I thought that was uh, kind of neat. You know, there was, there were a few less people, so there wasn't as many things that could happen. And a lot of the riders were going similar speeds. And then obviously doing 10 minute laps, it's, it's better for TV and spectating. So I'd be curious to see where this does evolve for sure. Barry, did you ever get a chance to come and race on the West coast at all? Uh, no, I didn't do anything out there. Um, I was, I've ridden out there quite a few times, but the only race I have ever done out there is I went to Hollister and raced a national hair scramble on uh, the dirt bike, but I made half a lap and it blew up. So my, my West coast career was uh, one and done. Wow. That's horrible. <laughs> uh, you, there was a rumor that you were going to come out Walker and race this round at the world off-road championship at, series. What happened? I uh, just had a, a crash at Ironman and just still kind of on the men from that, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, but, uh, probably mid mid December, I'll be back to riding and, and training regular. Uh, I'm still exercising and, um, walking around just fine, but just, uh, I'm pretty good at the end of the year, uh, either having a concussion or getting hurt the last two, three years. So I'm hoping maybe next year I can be healthy so I can actually enjoy a couple of the other one-off races, uh, when the season's over. So, but yeah, I, I have, I have, uh, moto arms. I have, uh, I have shock built for it. So I'm excited to, to come out next year, uh, you know, assuming everything goes well. Well, that would be great to have you. Um, the East Coast boys did really well, uh, third, fourth. And I don't know where Johnny finished, but he was in the top 10. And uh, it, it was good. I was super impressed with Josh Merritt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you could tell he was riding a little timid in the beginning. And then uh, he just got used to... I think he, he was on his motocross bike too, or the BNR uh, sponsored motocross bike. So it's something that he doesn't usually ride and it's a different, a little bit different engine package. And, um, <laughs> just looking at the track, that is nothing like we ride, you know, our closest thing, like Hunter was saying is Florida. And I know Barry can, you know, say that the East coast sand and, and scrub and stuff is totally different than out West. It's just, there's still trees. There's still maybe some rocks and, and stuff in there or in Florida, it might just be bottomless, <laughs> but it's not, it's not fifth gear wide open. Like you guys do. That's very, very true. I, I got a, uh, opportunity to meet Mark, your mechanic. Oh, awesome. Cool. Oh, that he's a, he's a spectacular guy. Um, I got a brief conversations being that I am more of a mechanic than ever will be a rider. Uh, it was an honor to talk to a guy at his level that is doing such a great job for you. And uh, I actually Hunter as well. Um, yep, and and he, Johnny Gallagher. <laughs> well, yeah. And he had a different perspective on the, the first thing out of his mouth. He goes, Hey, where are the trees? 
<laughs> uh, bur- burned up from the sun <laughs> a couple million years ago. <laughs> well, you know, I just told him we have more rocks. It's okay. You know, we'll, we'll make up for it with rocks. Yeah. Um, but th- th- those guys, we got to do a press conference on Saturday night and we got to sit down with them and, and talk to them about uh, the differences and some of the things they got to see in practice. Cause they got to practice right before we talked to them at the press conference. So they were fresh off the track. Um, the biggest thing that Hunter said was I need a wider bike. Yeah, I can, I can imagine when you get to, um, getting crossed up in those whoops, the, the extra stability and, and being, having a little bit more suspension travel. I know on the East coast, we, we just don't need the the shocks to be that long. And I've actually been going a little bit shorter every year. Um, just for what we do, I can kind of like almost bunny hop the bike a little bit more. Like I, I want it to leave the ground. Those guys out there, they want to be glued to it and they're trying to go fast. I'm kind of just skipping around stuff. <laughs> wow. Barry, I, I want to know, I know that you're a motorcycle guy now and you work with uh, gas gas and you're, you're running the team for those guys have, do you have any, any of the guys now wanting to transition to both classes, ATV motorcycle? No, I don't. Typically the bike guys, they're so focused on two wheels. They don't want anything to do with the four wheels. Um, you know, all the four wheel guys, I think Walker, I don't know if you have a dirt bike now, but typically most of the the ATV guys have dirt bikes and ride them, but the the bike guys don't really do that too much. Um, I do know a few years ago when Ryan Sipes was on my team and Craig DeLong, um, I had those guys jump on the team's ATVs and, and do some riding and Sipes actually, he impressed me. He was very good. He, I could tell he had some time on an ATV. That wasn't his first time on it. Um, he done very well. Craig DeLong, on the other hand, was a fish out of water. I mean, <laughs> top 10 bike guys, one of the fastest bike guys in GNCC. I mean, year after year, he's top 10 guy. But you put him on an ATV, and it was just, it was comical. It honestly was, I was, I could not stop laughing at him. Like, he was scared. It was just, I don't know what he thought it was going to do. Like, it was, it was, honestly, it was comical. Um but, you know, typically you can put the ATV guys on a dirt bike and, you know, they, they can, they can hold their own simply because they have time on it. But yeah, the bike guys don't do it so much. I wish I could get them more of them on it just for my own enjoyment, but <laughs> yeah. know, it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very often. It's uh, funny. That is, that is hilarious. You know, because we have a guy that's transitioned. He runs pro motorcycle and pro ATV. His name's Travis Damon. And he ended up fourth in the pro bikes and third in the ATV this year. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, if you look is. at his transition from when he started riding the ATV and his, in his bike finishes, um, he basically told me, he says, the ATV makes me stronger. Well, I can ride yeah. my motorcycle better. Yeah. I mean, I, I pretty much, I jumped on a bike to help me on the ATV is why I started doing it. I mean, Steve Holbert, you know, back whenever I was younger, Steve Holbert, Bob Sloan were, was racing a dirt bike and they, they were doing it simply to help them on the ATV. And I started doing the same thing and it absolutely, the bike can help the ATV and the ATV can help the bike. It's different riding styles, but you know, the bottom line is you've got to read the trail. You've got to read what's going on. You have to be, you know, you, you got to be taking a lot going in uh, mentally whether you're on the bike or on the ATV to go fast. Um, can you get on either one and, and ride it? Yeah. But to go fast and to be at a top level, there's a lot going on and there's a lot going on different ways, whether it's bike or ATV and Josh, I'm sure could, you know, attest to that the same as Walker, you know, I don't know the last time you went really fast on a dirt bike Walker, but you know, there's a lot going on there's, but on the bike, you have a lot more legs putting your feet down, you know, do you put it down here? Don't you put it down here as ruts, logs, whatever on ATV, you keep them on the the pegs most of the time. But you know, the ATV to me is more upper body and the bike is more legs, but there's still a lot going on either way, no matter which one you're on. It's, you know, they can help each other. You obviously never seen me ride before. 
<laughs> no, but I would like to see it by the way, by your comment. I would like to see it. Yeah, that. I want to see it too. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm using everything to hold on just because I, yeah. Like I said, I can turn a wrench way better than I can ride. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No, it, it, you just have to figure it out early that, you know, may, may, maybe riding them is not my forte and I should, you know, pick a different path. Yeah. Gary, I'm going to direct this at you and then I'm going to ask you the same question, Walker. If you look at the future of ATVs and I know that it's not where you're at and I know you don't spend as much time as we do. What do you think you see for the future of the ATV industry and the ATV racers in general? Um, I've said this for quite a few years. I think, um, I, first off, I love ATVs. That's still, you know, my, my thing is I always will love ATVs. Um, I think for the future, um, and I think the ATV Moto Series is doing it where you have the stock class. Um, and there's some of that in GNCC, but, you know, it's pretty tough to buy an ATV up the showroom floor and go race it. Um, whether it's at a local, a local race or a GNCC or moto, it's pretty, you, you have to do a lot of work up the showroom floor to go race a thing on a, compared to a bike. On the other hand, you can get a dirt bike. It doesn't matter what brand it is and you can take it to the track and it's not that far off. So I think that's the biggest dilemma in the ATV world right now is, you know, going and buying something off the showroom floor and going racing it. Um, you're, you're kind of handicapped on the ATV side somewhat. Can you do it? Yes. Um, can you do it competitively? Yes, but it's a, it's an uphill battle. I think that's the biggest, toughest thing facing the ATVs. And it's been the same, it's been the same thing for years, you know, but you know, it is good to see that there are some stock classes out there and, um, you know, it's, I don't want it to ever go away because I love it. You know, I would, something that Walker said earlier, you know, he, he loves ATVs, loves riding them. I, if I had an ATV sitting here and a dirt bike, both fully prepped, ready to go, and the weather was really good tomorrow and the dirt was good, which one am I getting on? Without a doubt in my mind, I'm getting on an ATV. Just, they were just way more fun, more naturally talented on it. So I think that's where, you know, but, but back to your question that I think that's one of the biggest holdups is, is somebody just going and buying one from the, from the dealer and going racing it. Walker, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, obviously just getting manufacturers involved too. Uh, KTM had probably at least modern era, the closest race ready machine, you know, down to having a, a tether cord on it, offering, uh, um, you know, hand guards and, and Can-Am actually had done that and actually offered some with a uh, different upgraded suspension, you know, having Fox floats on it. And those were all pretty good machines. They still had their flaws but they were just really expensive. And then obviously that expense ran those companies out and now Yamaha is the only one involved. And I think it's going to take, it's not a thing. I know it's going to take another factory or two getting involved again to see, to see any evolution. Uh, Yamaha isn't going to quit making ATVs, but for, for them to want, to want to upgrade or maybe make changes that, that Barry and I think maybe would happen. It, it's going to take someone to get, get back in it and, and compete against them. Otherwise it's going to be a little stale, I think. So I'm hoping, obviously, I mean, I love Yamaha. I don't want to go anywhere. I'm not planning on going anywhere, but it would, it would do the sport a lot of good to get another manufacturer to come in and maybe get a rider, you know, a top five guy on that product and start doing a little head-to-head battles, you know, bring the, bring the manufacturers back. So, um, it would be cool. I think it'd be cool if you had the option to either build, like customize your ATV before you get it, you know, and whether that's you, I I'm just buying a frame, a motor and I could get it for 4,500 bucks because I already know I'm not going to use the other stock parts or, you know, can I order it with some upgraded parts on it? at the similar or just slightly more expensive than it is right now. I think that would be cool. Logistically, it's never going to happen, but I wish, I, I feel like ordering it with less things would almost, since we can't seem to make them race ready, I wish we could make them 
where we only bought what we need. I think that would be really helpful too for a dramatically reduced cost. That would be outstanding if you could get the factories to ever do that. Uh, the, the biggest stumbling block that you have with something like that is when you roll it out on the showroom floor for the consumer to buy, your racing population is actually relatively Tiny. small compared, <laughs> yeah, yeah. compared to the, the uh, retail customer or the recreational rider. Yeah. That platform that Yamaha sells right now is, you know, not not to betray any of my Honda fans. Uh, it's it's an outstanding platform in its own right. You Definitely. Know, as far as development goes, you know, guys like you and Bill, and I mean, you you go back in time, and the guys that helped develop that are, it, it's a it's a wonderful machine. I mean, you can roll it out and do less mods to some of it in some places than you have to do to the Honda or the Suzuki to make it a racer. Yep. Absolutely. I would say stock trim. It's one of the best to ever exist. Yes, I agree. I agree. You know, um, it doesn't fare as well on the West coast as it does on the East coast, but it, it it's going to gain traction because it's the only one you can buy. Yep. And it's just those guys out there are stuck in their ways on the old Han. Han don'ts. <laughs> Whoa, come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I I bleed blue. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Oh, don't be. It's it's okay. I mean, uh, I understand why you be bleed blue because it, it's been a great platform for you, and there's no reason for you to even uh consider something else because um it, it's just it, Dude, it's it's making your legendary your your legacy grow because of that platform. You know, I mean, Barry wrote a 250R, dude. It's probably no offense to the Yamaha, it's probably the greatest ATV ever built because it lasted so long. And if you look at the following it still has, it's 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 incredible. Yeah, I think it's incredible that it was as popular as it was, and it was only made three years, four years. Four years. Yeah. I think I think that part is what's insane. Is like how like did they they made that many of them? Or well, you guys really you were running just the engines of just about, right? Because you were running full custom chassis and everything. Yeah. When it came down to the industry taking over, we built chassis and and you could buy engine cases way easier then than you can now. Now you have to have uh, some type of uh, ownership paper and, and, and documentation to buy center cases with a number on them where mm. before you could just order cases. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. It, when you, when you go buy, well, you deal with a lot with the factory, so it doesn't matter. You need a case, they send you a case and, and it, but, but as a retail customer buying it, you have to have some documentation. Mm. Oh, Lots of pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know what it is for the frames, but most of your frames, when you buy a frame from the factory has no numbers on it. Uh, I know the Yamahas do not other than, you know, the original one that, that's on your machine has a number. If you order a secondary frame, it has no numbers on it. And this is where your 250R builds there there's so many of the aftermarkets and that you were able to build a, an engine and piece engines together um which that's where your numbers i don't think they doubled but there, there's a lot of them that were that were not sold right through honda they were sold through the parts department that's crazy <laughs> yeah now, now barry one thing that was on my mind just now when leonard was talking about mechanics you did you have a full-time mechanic for the atv in the 90s or were you doing that yourself uh, no i did um well my first few years it was just myself and my dad in my our little garage um actually i grew up uh you know <laughs> didn't have a lot and anytime anything would break dad would get the welder out or whatever we had to do um to keep, keep the thing running but <laughs> I had progressed enough and I was on the radar of uh, some people because I was doing decent on pretty much what 
compared to everyone else, my quad was not too good. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't too good looking, but it, whenever I finished, I would get the job done. Um, and actually I got with uh, Tony Kellner and Tony was working with a guy. Tony's from out past Harrisburg. He was working with a guy out there and something was uh, happened. The guy was going to quit racing and Tony wanted to stay in it. So Tony and I got together and at the end of 92, we start talking, start doing some stuff. Um, and then 90, so at the end of 92, then 93, we got together and started racing the, uh, it was the Lager frame, which was, it was essentially based off of stock 250R, just chromoly Lager, um, you know, which it kept progressing throughout the years. But Tony built that machine and I raced it and I, I think I got my, I think the first race on it for Tony, I got third overall, but I ended up winning a championship that year with Tony. And then we en- end up going on to seven street uh, championships together. And, and Tony, I talked to him, I don't know, four or five, six times a year. He's still around, still works on ATV. Some um, he's big into guns right now, but uh, if anybody's ever met Tony, he's, Super great guy, super knowledgeable, but he's very, very, very opinionated on whatever topic he's discussing. <laughs> so, um, you know, he may look at you and say Yamahas are not, he would probably use some four-letter words, or he may say Honda's junk or whatever. But just, I don't know where he's at on the current ATV scene, but he's very opinionated. He loves one thing and hates the other, but he and I always work together very well um, because I'm very easygoing um, and Tony's very opinionated and uh, we, we work together, won seven championships and uh, yeah, still, it's still interesting when I talk to him to this day, he'll, he's like, Hawk, what are you doing? What are you into? I watch this guy. What's this doing? How's the family? Tell him smack your wife or smack her on the butt and tell her I said, hello. That's it. I'm like, that's Tony. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Very Walker. cool. Yep. Have you had the same mechanic for the last seven years? I sure have. That's pretty awesome right there. Yep. Uh, so How'd that go? So my first, other than my, my, my dad and I, um, and then just, you know, various people stopping in the shop or, you know, weld shops or fab shops helping out. Uh, I got my first full mechanic when I went to balance in 2010. Um, otherwise, you know, up to that point, I was just on the, I just 2009 was my first year on a 450. It was the carb carbureted model Yamaha. Uh, and then 2010, I got a, uh, a small support ride with Yamaha and, and balance racing, uh, tied for the championship that year, got a, got a better contract and, uh, had a really good year in 11. Um, Yamaha kind of wanted to, they, they wanted to scale back quite a bit. Um, we weren't comfortable taking, you know, not having bill around. So I, I convinced them to, to keep the team the same, um, we had a reduced budget, but we, we kept uh, myself and, and Bill and Taylor Kaiser, you know, on the team and, and had a similar year in 2012. And then at the end of that year, they were like, we got to make some budget changes. You know, it's either, either you're going to go on and do your own thing or, uh, you know, we got to pull the plug. So I was like, well, I'm not really ready to, to go out on my own. Is there another option? They're like, well, you know, Randy Hawkins, don't you? And I'm like, I sure do. Obviously that was my first ride in, in 2008 with Yamaha was on the bike with Barry. So I actually ended up back on Ampro in 2013. And, um, when I left balance, I had lost my, uh, my, my mechanic didn't want to travel and, and didn't want to not, um, uh, it, it's just going to be too hard logistically. So we, uh, you know, we had a mutual agreement that unfortunately we had to part ways there too. Uh, his name is Brock Booth. Absolutely fantastic guy literally thought that I would never find anybody that would ever be as good as him again. And, uh, that year, uh, Mark Notman retired from racing and, and at the end of 2012 and, uh, he, he got all his stuff sold off and was pretty much trying to figure out what he was going to do. And we, uh, I came home from Kentucky, I had one bike and boxes, uh, that, that we had grenaded or something. I don't know. So we gave it to Mark and we're like, Hey, let us know your price, but we want to see what you would do 
would you ever consider being a full-time mechanic? And he was like, I don't know, but I'll think about it. But before that, you know, I'll build this bike and, or, you know, ATV, I call them bikes, sorry, but I'll build, I'll build this ATV. And if you, and if you like the job, then we can discuss it. So, uh, yeah, he, he didn't, you know, just as good of a job as, as, uh, Brock did. And we were like, well, it's dad and I can't handle it. So we, uh, we brought Mark on in 2013 um, I was with, uh, Ampro till 2016, I believe. And then, uh, but well, I won all, but all, but two overall wins are, uh, are with the same, same mechanic. So that's very fortunate. And, uh, him and I were joking the other day. I think he's, he's built, I believe late fifties or right at 60 different machines for me since that time. Wow. wow. Yeah. 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 We, we go through a bunch of them just to be safe or practice bikes or, you know, we do some customer customer work. He's, he's built hundreds of machines. Um, now that he's taken Hunter and, and Johnny on, uh, Drew Landers, we were doing some work for, and, uh, he'll do some odds and ends stuff too. Any bike we sell, we try to take back. So Mark's a busy guy, but that's where I was trying to get with all this is the riders are only as we have to do, we have our job, but, I was never a mechanic and, uh, my mechanic is the biggest reason for my success. I, I can take care of myself, but without a, a machine that I can believe in. And I mean, the speeds were running if I was working on it, which usually whenever I am the one working on it is when something falls off and I crash my brains out and I get hurt. <laughs> so I'd much rather just have Mark work on it. And, uh, I just, I don't even have to think about the machine. I'm never worried about it. And that has been the biggest part of my success and probably the biggest thorn in the side to any of my competition. What is the dynamic for you guys in the pits with Hunter Hart and yourself? Well, obviously it's, it, things are going to start being different as he has matured and is becoming obviously a, a threat to the throne, but I don't really, I don't see it as that. Um, he, he's kind of a lot like myself. Uh, now I thought he was a punk when he was growing up. And I think, I, I feel like Barry could probably agree with that. A kid running around. <laughs> he, uh, he has come a long yeah. way. He's come a long way. <laughs> uh, I would agree. I, I take it you know him, Barry. Oh yeah, yep, I know him. I remember, yeah, when he was just young kid. Whenever, I, as a matter of fact, I think the, my first time seeing him was was when he raced a youth on the ATV, and it was that two-stroke. I'm not even sure what it was, but the kid was flying around, and if the thing didn't break, he would win the youth overall by minutes. And uh, you know, I thought this kid's pretty. He's pretty impressive, and uh, you know the race would be over, and he'd come up, he'd be like, "Hey, Barry, how you doing?" And you know, I'm like, oh, "I'm busy," and he's like, "All right, see you later." And he's just like, hey, "He's a hundred mile an hour, just running around." You know, yeah. he's, he's still a hundred mile an hour, but he's a lot more. Uh, I guess he's he's a lot calmer. He's more grown up than he was whenever he was a kid. I mean, I may have been the same way. Walker may have been the same way if we was at the races at that age. I mean, who knows? But but yeah, he was he was always wide open. Yeah. And I think he is still wide open, but he's, uh, he's definitely, he's, he's slowed down maybe his brain process a little bit. And I think he's really starting to pay attention. I think he, uh, he asks the right questions. He, he, he wants, he wants to know how to be better, but doesn't, he knows he's not going to just get told the secrets. He's, he's ready to pay attention and, and, uh, and, and learn. And he's one of the first guys, um, at least in recent memory for me that, that is, is that way. And, you know, kind of reminded me a lot of myself or a lot of the guys that, that I know were successful for similar attributes. So I'm very curious to see how the coming years go for him. And he's definitely starting to make my job pretty tough. <laughs> guys, can we pause for one moment? Yep. Yep. Thank you. And we're back. Sorry about that, gentlemen. And and thanks for letting us pass. We 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 missed out on a great conversation uh, Walker and Barry were having about le electric motorcycles, um, and that is probably um, the future. To a, a lot of sports is going to go elect electric. Um, I don't. I just don't know. Could do you think they'll ever be able to make an electric quad? 
how long you trying to ride it (laughs) (laughs) i think it definitely will i mean i you know how much it's gonna be heavy but you know yeah like you walked in later in our conversation the bike that i rode you know was extremely heavy on the stand but riding it it didn't feel that heavy um you know but but you have heavy batteries that are going to you know need charged but you know, if you flip stuff around and we were riding electric dirt bikes and electric ATVs up to this point, and you brought a gas engine in, then everybody would be like, ah, they're they're noisy, they're loud, they're hot, the engine's hot, whatever. But, you know, eventually stuff's going to get figured out. And, you know, do do I think it'll all be that way in the future? I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for sure, but you know, the only thing I can say is the bike that I rode, I was very, very, very impressed with it, is is what I'll say. It was it blew me away, honestly, of how how it responded and how it responded and handled and how much fun I was having on it. Wow, that's incredible. Uh Walker, you get a chance to deal with some of the factory stuff. Do you hear any rumblings of any differences coming out of Yamaha? Uh, no, I, I haven't heard anything crazy. And honestly, if I did, I wouldn't really be allowed to say, but, uh, I'm not hearing anything, uh, different one way or the other, which isn't a, a bad thing. You know, is that a good thing? No. Is that a bad thing? No. <laughs> I know that the, the little dealings that I've got to work with some of the factories, they are sticklers for keeping you keeping your mouth shut. Oh yeah, definitely. I, the only thing, and we've, uh, you know, and even, uh, Donnie Luce, manages the uh the atv and side by well, was yeah i think he still does the side by side racing side of it we're all fighting to get the raptor 125 and 250 back even if it's exactly the way it was uh several years ago when they stopped making it um and that was i think there was like some lead law issues and then they moved they actually moved the manufacturing plants and then for whatever reason the tooling and stuff didn't really get moved and then they just decided that that they didn't need it. And I think, you know, just talking with Barry about the, the kids are starting on the, these electric fifties. And then instead of just having adult ones, the next step is probably a 65 or 85 size and then moving on up. Well, that's what, that's kind of the only missing link right now is there isn't, there isn't a medium size, you know, teenage quad right now. Um, other than, you know, trying to get some crummy little uh, like, off-brand, uh, what am I trying to say? Like utilities or something. Um, you, you're going from basically 90, 90 CC or 125 CC four-stroke youth ATVs. And then the next step, you know, the, the 300DX doesn't exist anymore. The Raptor 125 and 250 don't exist anymore. Um, Can-Am had a, a 250 for a while or a 200, and I don't believe they make it anymore. So there's just, there's no stepping stone. So you're coming off of something that makes exactly seven horsepower to the next step is a, a fire breathing monster. That's the 450. And I think that's a, we're definitely missing a, a big, there's a big window recreational or racing that we're definitely missing. And I know Yamaha, uh, at least the race division is fighting to get that back. That would be outstanding for the growth of the ATV industry uh, to have those machines because you still have, a great field of, of 250 racers on the West coast that are you yep. know, still running the, the Raptor 250s and um, they put CRF motors in them. Uh, they do all kinds of different things to keep them uh, usable uh, in a, in a lot of, I don't know what they're doing back East. I, I know that they're building some 450s with 250 motors in them. Oh yeah. Yep. Full hybrid racing in the youth ranks. Uh, and that's the the front line of the actual youth class. And then like what we call our schoolboy class is the full size machine, but then they have a two fifty F engine in them. Um, that's very popular, very expensive. And I think that's another, that's, that's another reason maybe that ATVs don't have as good a numbers as, as we should is, is we are missing that stepping stone and we're definitely missing it affordably. Um, you know, these, these parents are forced basically to build these $30,000 hybrid four wheelers for their kids because there isn't anything offered in between. And then I feel like that's probably when a lot of people go, you know what, we should just race dirt bikes 
and we were losing them right at a pivotal, a pivotal point where we could either make them be ATV racers for a long time or motorcycle racers. And it's definitely a bummer, but you know what? We still have the 450. I, I'm still happy that they make that and it's better than nothing. That's true. Now I want to throw this out there. I've had this conversation with a couple other people and, and I'm going to use this company because they have three brands. KTM comes out with another ATV. Then it goes into a Husky ATV and a gas gas. How awesome would it be that would change the whole face of ATV racing having whether it's the same or not, doesn't matter, but having four brands out there racing. And, and I know KTM has openly said they're a motorcycle company, not an ATV company. Yeah. But hypothetically it would be awesome. And, uh, Barry, I know you, uh, you've actually worked, you haven't worked with KTM, but you've worked with the, uh, the Husky and the gas gas, they're the same, but there are some differences, are there not? Yeah, there's some differences in them. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing major, uh, but there is differences. Um, I know riding uh, last year we were Husky and then this year we're, we're Gas Gas. And, you know, some people say, well, it's a, a white KTM or a red KTM. Um, but I can tell you, I've ridden all the guys' bikes. I've ridden pretty much every. Well, let me think here. I haven't ridden Ben Kelly's bike, but pretty much everybody else, KTM, Husky, Gas Gas, I've ridden their bikes over the years. And um, what's interesting is there's, um, they all feel a little bit different. And, and that's not going from the rider, how a rider makes it feels, bars, levers, you know, suspension. Yeah, that's all different. I mean, the actual Husky, KTM, Gas Gas they all have a different power delivery. They all feel a little bit different. It's not left field and right field different, but it is different. Yeah. Which if they would ever bring ATVs out, there's subtle differences. We'd have three different ones. That'd be awesome. Come on, Leonard, make it happen. Make it happen, Leonard. (laughs) You know, (laughs) yeah, zero. no, No offense. Very, um, I'm really not an orange fan at all. I wasn't a fan of their ATV and I'm some behind the scenes things happened that really turned me off to them. And, um, I, I regret that. I actually, I actually, I don't even know who the gentleman was. I got to speak to this weekend at the works race, but I don't know if you know who Brandy Richards is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That lady is phenomenal human being and she's lightning fast on a motorcycle. Yep. And I just happened to be walking up to the podium and this young gentleman who was with KTM was there. And I just said, Hey, you know, I'm just a fan. And why isn't she under the tent? And he goes, uh, I have the same question. I don't know why we don't have her under the tent. And him and I had a little short conversation about it. And I said, you know, you can take a man like myself or an individual like myself, who's just a huge fan of racing. And you might gain a KTM fan. uh, If, if you did that, because uh, I think that this person deserves more than she's getting because you know, she's ISD ISDE gold. She won the women's pro and then she just won the pro the pro-am title in works, you know, racing against the men. And um th- that deserves something. Yeah. Tough industry. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, it's tough. I, I can't speak for them as to why. I probably have some educated guesses why she's not there. Um, but I do know that even though we're under the KTM umbrella, um, each KTM Husky Gas Gas, the factory teams in GNCC, they all have a little bit different approach. There's all there's a little bit different theories of um, you know who's under the tent and why they're under the tent and how much support people get. Um, I know, speaking for myself, my team Gas Gas is labeled the fun brand, and we have under my tent 
Um, there's my two factory guys, and then we have some A-Rodders, Cole Lane Whitmer, Alex Patterson, Sean Remington in the senior A class. And then even if I back up last year, Lane Whitmer rode uh, when we was Husky last year. Lane, Lane was on the uh, youth bikes, and he rode YXC1 on the youth bike. And they were all those people were under our under our tent. So we have a lot more going on under our tent compared to to Husky and KTM. But um, that's the way you know we're the family, the fun brand. You know that's we're, we're good with having everybody under there. It's a big happy family. I don't know that KTM looks at it that way, but you know maybe it'll change. Who knows? Who knows? But I, I do know I've not spoken to Brandy Richards. Um, I did see her race at one of the full gases this year, the one in Beckley, West Virginia. Um, and she was flying. She was kicking butt. So she, you know, if she's under that tent in the near future, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I hope I hope she gets it because uh, I really enjoy talking with her. And I and I got to see her ride for the first time uh, this weekend and, and was highly impressed. Yep. I, I was I, as well. Yeah, I mean, that young lady um, just puts it down and, 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 you know, if you've been in the sport, as long as we have, you can see differences in the way that men and women ride. When you watch mm-hmm. Randy, there's not that, that difference isn't there. Right. Yeah. There's you. Yeah. Typically, like you're saying, you can look across. I can us we're the, around the sport all the time. You can look out and see like, oh, this guy's fairly new or this that's a girl or that girl's fairly new or, or you know, you can you can pick stuff out. Brandy, you really can't tell. I can't tell looking out across the field that, that it's a female. Um, you know, I can walk her. Uh, you've been around the races forever, like watching Becca Sheets. I mean, I can tell that that's Becca, maybe because I've seen her race more than I've seen Brandy race. But. I could look across the field and say that's Becca Sheets, that, um, even like Rachel Archer. Now I'm speaking of specifically GNCC stuff, um, but uh, you know I don't know how many Brandy has raced GNCC. I don't know how many rounds, if any, that she's competed in. Um, but regardless, yeah, she's very fast, um, very talented individual. That's for sure. Exactly, it's extremely talented. Um, Walker, do you have anything changing in your program heading into next year? Uh, subtle differences, nothing too crazy. Um, we've always tried to build our program around not changing. Um, if you're successful and you're winning to make really dramatic changes would, uh, you know, could be really costly this year. Um, we did, you know, we tried uh, a pretty a huge transition for me. I had ran the, the Fox air shocks forever, uh, ever since, um, I got on, after I left, uh, balance, uh, I was in charge of my own sponsors and, um, we got hooked up with Fox at that point And I ran them all the way up until, uh, the end of last year, uh, started running a custom spring shock that uses some Fox parts, but it's a, it's a custom shock, uh, made by a company just six miles down the road in North Lima, Ohio, uh, BNR racing. So I've been running their custom springers had a, I actually did end up running, uh, three races. Uh, before our summer break on the spring shocks, I was just having a little bit of funk and I didn't know what it was. If it was the specific machine I was on, if it was an A-arm problem, if it was a frame problem, if it was shocks, I didn't know what it was. So we pretty much just went back to all the original stuff. <coughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, we had a lot of success. And then luckily over the summer break, we uh, were back on the spring shocks again and they're awesome. And we made huge leaps and bounds gains. So I'm excited to, you know, bring that back again next year. Um, and like I said, there might be some different bolt on company stuff. that's different, but, uh, overall the heavy hitters are all coming back. Um, I actually did get a, a two-year contract extension with Yamaha and, uh, I haven't had a multi-year deal since, uh, I think 2000, 2011 into 12 or 10 and 11, I think were my only years I ever had a two year deal. So super excited about that. Um, definitely, definitely got to thank, uh, Donnie loose for, for that contract. That's huge. Uh, just, just makes our, our job a little bit easier as we're getting towards not necessarily the end of my career, but the golden years of it. And it's just nice to have people that, you know, see, see that hard work and, and are, 
rewarding you for that and, and maybe make our life a little bit easier. I know when you have a multi-year contract, um, you can get parts ordered a little earlier and you can get the bikes a little sooner and it just makes everything go a little quicker. And in this day and age, if you, <laughs> right now, if it would only be three months late, it would be fast. <laughs> it's been, it, the industry has been so tough lately with, uh, you know, it was COVID now the shipping stuff and just, uh, you know, we're just trying to maybe a few of the companies that we're switching or might switch, uh, or maybe some more, uh, United States based mom and pop shop type stuff. That way we can, uh, you know, keep the ball rolling in here in America. That's awesome. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for coming on ATV talk. I know how busy both of you are and getting this scheduled was a little bit of a fear for me because Walker had something come up and, and fortunately it worked out for us. Um, so Walker, thank you so much for coming and congratulations on number seven. And Barry, I know it's always my honor to talk with you, being that you're a seven-time champion and and being a fan of racing, I've always looked up to you as a as a rider. And I appreciate your effort in helping ATV Talk grow. Well, gentlemen, thank you again for coming on ATV Talk. It's always an honor and a pleasure to speak with you both. And uh, I'll be in touch with both of you again. Thank you so much. All right, oh, thank thank you. you. Have a great night. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.